Hargreaves and Mansdown in the UK found that women investors averaged 0.81% more than men in their returns over a three-year period. And if that was sustained for 30 years, the average woman would end up with a portfolio worth 25% more than the average man. Women make the decision to purchase 94% of home furnishings, 92% of vacations, 91% of homes, 60% of automobiles, and 51% of consumer electronics. So basically these marketers were saying, hey, like a strategy moving forward might be target these women because they have a bunch of money and they spend a bunch of money and they're not really being addressed by the current way that we're advertising. Women invest endlessly from the word go. They invest in their education, their careers, they invest in their community, their friends, their family, their kids, everything. Everyone who has a woman in their life sees that they invest heavily in their stuff. So it's quite ironic that in the matter of stock investing, historically women did not engage. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me today's episode are Emmett and Emery from the My Wall Street Analyst team. A quick word from our friends and sponsors at Vodafone Business before we move ahead. Vodafone have recently launched their VHub digital advisory service, offering Irish businesses of all sizes free one-to-one digital support and advice. You don't even have to be a Vodafone business customer to avail of this service. Search Vodafone VHub to book a call with one of the VHub digital experts, and we will leave a link in the show notes for today's episode. Amory, Emmett, welcome to another episode of Stock Club. Good to have you both. A uh, bit of a bittersweet episode today, Amory. You're leaving us for a bit, so this yeah. is your last your last episode of the year. I think is that a fair summation? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm going. Maybe wandering is the correct term rather than traveling because not all plans have been established yet. But I, th- I'm going. I'm definitely going to some music festivals. I'm going to go to Spain for a bit with my friends, and then I'm going to go home to Colorado and do some traveling around the U.S. and just kind of chill out for a man. I'm exhausted. You know, I'm 26. It's just it's all hit me now. Yeah, I think it's it's time for the first retirement, I think. So quarter, <laughs> a quarter life crisis. Yeah, which I did not label it that Emmett did. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I had a QLC at 26. I yeah. went in and I resigned and my employer was like, no, it's okay. We'll figure it, figure it out. Um, and that's how I want to pay it forward. But I went yeah. down to New Zealand and lived down there, as as I mentioned to you guys. I think it was 2002, so 21 years ago. Nice. Yeah, I packed it in and moved to New York at about 25. So, yeah, it, it all fits. It, it's yeah. about that age. I'm yeah. scheduled. Yeah, I'm due. So yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Yeah, so your last show of the year, we let you pick the topic, and that was a very important one. I think probably one we don't discuss enough, and that's women in investing. So maybe more accurately, the lack thereof of women investing, which is the unfortunate side of things. So women invest much less than men, but a number of studies have showed they actually make better investors. So Amish, you have a very interesting story from the leaders at Charles Schwab about this, and I think it's worth retelling today. It certainly is, Mike. Um, back in 2013, John, John Tyrrell and I went to America to figure out our, U- our US brokerage offering um, and how would we extend a brokerage capability to my Wall Street customers. And Enterprise Ireland, who is a backer of ours, was willing and able to open more or less any door we requested. And as some of our listeners know, Enterprise Ireland or EI is the government organization here responsible for the development of Irish enterprises in world markets. And they have a network absolutely everywhere. It's it's unbelievable. Another year, John and I were down in Australia and Enterprise Ireland had literally could get us anywhere. Anyway, so it's pretty unbelievable 
how omnipresent they are in the world of, of enterprise, which was very useful for us uh, in the earliest days. Anyway, one of the introductions made from EI came in the form of John Tyrrell talking to Charles Schwab, like Chuck, Chuck himself. The, the, the Charles Schwab. Yes, yeah. whose namesake business is now a $110 billion company and one of the largest retail brokers in the world, maybe the largest, but it's an absolute behemoth. And all of our listeners have heard of Schwab because if you're listening to this podcast, you'll have noticed them. What's remarkable about that phone call between JT and Schwab was that number one, I pulled in so that he could talk in silence, which involved him walking into a giant pumpkin field for the purpose of doing so. And I mentioned that on a podcast, on this podcast before, and I think we posted the picture somewhere. And the second thing that was remarkable uh, was, of course, he was talking to Chuck. But in fairness, at that time, they were a bit small. They only had $2.25 trillion in client assets and 9.1 million active brokerage accounts. So they were tiny. It was way back in 2013. Anyway, what John was told was that when they looked at the historical investment performance of men versus women with that ginormous data set, women outperformed men because in short, they were less likely to fiddle with the stocks after every little piece of news. Again, on the whole, they would allow the seasons and years to roll by without trading where men on the other hand uh, were, shall we say, more vulnerable to buying and selling on rumor and news, whereas women sat tight. And despite that, we also learned that women are more risk averse than men. Mm. And that is that like rooted in fact, or is that opinion or? No, the risk averse thing is it, there's endless studies, endless studies on the notion that women are generally more risk averse than men, especially in financial matters. And I have a few here to, to list off. The first is Barber and Odin in 2001 conducted a study called Boys Will Be Boys, Gender Overconfidence and Common Stock Investment. And they found that men trade 45% more than women, reducing men's net return by 2.65 percentage points per year compared to women. And this higher trading activity was attributed to overconfidence in men, indicating that women's relative risk aversion led to a more stable investment strategy. A few years prior to that, in 1998, there was a study by Sundan and Surette, which found that women are more likely to choose guaranteed income streams, such as bonds, whereas men are more likely to invest in riskier assets. And in the same year, in 98, there was another study by Jacamplus and Bernaske, which published a study that analyzed the relationship between gender and risk aversion using data from uh, the survey of consumer finances. And they found that single women um, in the study exhibited far greater risk aversion in their financial investments compared to single men, which is understandable. And then even more recently in 2011, uh, Domen et al. found that women are more risk averse than men across various domains, not just financial. However, they also emphasized that the difference in risk attitudes between men and women might be influenced by cultural, societal, and educational things. And again, it was a big, a big survey. And again, it was not shocking. Shocking. There's so many surveys and so many really academic uh, papers on this matter. In 2012, Charnas and Nisi provided evidence that women tend to be more risk averse than men in financial uh, situations. 
Um, but these differences are context dependent. It goes on and on and on. Another um, deep study in 2008 said it had found by it was by Cardens and Char, uh, Carpenter had this controlled experiment that found that while women were more risk averse than men, the difference was more pronounced in patriarchal societies compared to matriarchal societies, uh, which suggested that all the norms we see and structures play a role in shaping risk attitudes. And and even Anne-Marie and I were chatting yesterday and she told me that uh, Hargreaves and Lansdowne in the UK found that women investors averaged uh, 0.81% more than men in their returns over a three-year period. And if that was sustained for 30 years, the average woman would end up with a portfolio worth 25% more than the average man. And and this, all of this, yeah, I could go on and on and on, but I, I guess the point is that this is not really a surprise to anyone, really. It's just not. I mean, if you grew up in a traditional homestead with a male and a female, um, it's more likely that the male was more involved in at least contemplating stock investing. I think that's hardly a shocking insight. Mm. So what do you do with that information then? Because there's a lot there to take in. There is. I mean, that's a very good question because John and I figured that the right thing to do 10 years ago was to launch a product that gets the world's female population investing successfully. So when we were in our kind of fact-finding stage and we realized that women are, as a matter of fact and data, better investors, but they are far, far less likely to do it. It felt like a blue ocean strategy for us to go and address. Uh, But the more we considered it, I think the less credible it felt as to you know, white Irish guys, which is just a fact. Um, And also wrongly, perhaps, we didn't want to launch a pink biro. At that time, uh, BIC in South Africa posted an ad on its Facebook page Mm -hmm. to celebrate Women's Month. You you know this one, Amory. And Mm -hmm. it showed a, a smiling woman in a suit with her arms folded and it read beneath, look like a girl, act like a lady, think like a man, work like a boss. Hashtag Happy Women's Yikes. Day. It was oh, it was that's atrocious. The, that's the real girl boss attitude there, oh, Emery, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they it's... also that corresponded with them releasing pens for women. Which were, that was the one. That yeah, was the they, one. They were just pink, and I think they tried <laughs> to argue. They were like, "We've made them for women's hands," and it was just it was they a pen. Did. Oh, yeah, that was the marketing campaign, and that was a hot thing then. I mean, it was absolutely outrageous. I think. I mean, anyone with the brain in their head looked at it through the fingers on their hands going, please, no, make it stop. I mean, we were very sensitive then at that time to building a product that could be even vaguely accused of mansplaining. I mean, it's not in our nature. We didn't want to do that. Uh, but a, a product just for women wasn't right for us at that time, despite the fact that the opportunity was there to white dudes from Dublin, uh, sorry, from Galway in Dublin, uh, yeah. building a product. It just was wrong. Yeah, there's a bit of virtue signaling maybe to it as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what's your view on female investing today, ten years on? Have you learned? What have you learned in the meantime? Well, what's ironic is that on the whole, women invest endlessly from the word go. They invest in their education, their careers. They invest in their community, their friends, their family, their kids, the gym, sports, you know, yoga, kickboxing, their parents, everything. Everyone who has a woman in their life sees that they invest heavily in their stuff. So it's quite ironic that uh, in the matter of stock investing, uh, historically, women did not engage. 
Every woman is an investor. It's in front of our eyes. It's there to be seen. Women are naturally investors. And when we have a horizon get together, um, as you both well know, the room is about 80% male, at least, maybe 90%. Um, last year's, what would you guess last year was about 90% male in the room? Yeah, it's not yeah. far off. I think Amory yeah. and Zoe and Nicole probably made up a bit of yes, numbers right. as well. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So certainly as a company, doing nothing uh, to gender tilt the table where we were neither a pink bick or a man only club, we've seen more males naturally arrive to our product set. We There's nothing in our branding, nothing that says man, nothing. Like I remember at the time when, when we were looking at our branding and what we stood for and our logos, our color palette, uh, there's a load of brands out there that are clearly alpha male, like eToro, um, two big bull's yeah. horns coming out the side of its I logo. I about to say that the big bull is the real. <laughs> yeah, you know? I know. Exactly. And, yeah. and then and there's others like plus 500 that just, there's nothing about it. You know, there's brands out there that, that they very clearly have put themselves, um, you know, tilted the table to be more appealing than the, to a traditional male, if you like. Um, but we, without doing that, have seen more males, which I think is a pity because as I said, women are better investors and that's just a matter of fact. Mm. Before we move on then, I just remembered from that story with Chuck Schwab was, mm. I remember it was always women were better investors than men, but wasn't there a third category that were the best investors of all? Of all? Do you remember uh, this? The, the deceased, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dead, they dead people the had the best returns yeah. out of anyone that's in the right. Chuck Schwab that's database. Yeah, that's right. Because they, they never sell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's funny because yeah. there are so many pieces of literature I've read over the years where the author, who almost invariably was a man, would say women make better investors. And and I dived into the subject just to get some facts, which I blurted out there a few moments ago. But like my favorite or one of my favorite investment, investing books, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch, he talks about his wife found his best investments. And and the way he, I suppose the, the, the way he describes it, I suppose is um, a little bit culturally outdated, the way he uses his tone of voice and the way he describes it but is meant in the highest most the highest regard possible um and the the uh, and that was an anecdote he said my wife found legs pantyhose yeah. and she told me about them and those anecdotes led to him investing in what was it la Coya motels or something like that and all these different kind of products that she had insights that he otherwise didn't have while sitting on the top floor of fidelity eating prawn sandwiches you know at 12 30. so um but really when you kind of take that he he was on the money and he was right and big data has proven that women make better investors but marginally pipped by the deceased RIP. <laughs> <laughs> oh, coming second to a group of dead guys to be fair that's the true blue ocean opportunity there is an abundant <laughs> amount of dead people in the world how do you get in there with that <laughs> what a market untapped well there's ads on oh. tv for you know um getting yourself ready for the when the grim reaper arrives you know there's this you know as uh, for only 2.99 a week we'll make sure your funeral is paid for maybe we should do something for only five bucks a week we'll invest in tomorrow's giants today 
Steph, before we get to Macabre now, I'm just going to give a quick promo to our newsletter, Charging and Fearless. So we're delivering to your inbox one of the most unique products on the market, and it's completely free. No one else is covering the markets we've covered with Charging Furnace, where we deliver to you a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris, or somewhere in between. So it's a completely free stock pitch. Every week, you'll have it read in about 30 seconds flat, and we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you, which is where you get an edge. So sign up now in the show notes for this episode. Mike, I want to come in on that because I want to talk about Charging Furnace for 20 seconds because I know some of most of our listeners have subscribed completely free occasionally you might have to scroll past an advert don't worry there's no drama there but when we designed that or when I sat down to figure what could we send out I was inspired by Scott Galloway's weekly email which is called no mercy no malice because the information in that email you can't google well you can but you could piece it together but it's just a beautiful succinct opinion that was absolutely original so the inspiration for charging and fearless was a beautifully succinct completely original not googleable uh piece of content that adds true value and i think we've delivered it and what i the, the one thing i just wanted to say is that we have a pixel at the very bottom of the email which means that 60 percent of nearly a hundred thousand people read the whole thing and just for industry standards kind of to get maybe 10% read rate or 20% is good to have 60% of people read the whole thing is my way of just saying to our listeners it definitely delivers value so just sign up it's it's I'm so proud of that product and I have to say hats off to the two of you because you were huge in its architecture design and delivery yeah I'm very uh, very interested in the one Amory just published well sorry that is going to be published this week as well it's a stock it's a it's a company and product i've heard of a lot but didn't realize it was a stock and i and when you talk about niche moats i think this really defines it well yeah but um yeah, yeah. true to type amory we've been talking about women investing for 15 minutes now and it's just been two men on the line um yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> nailing it once again exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. perpetuating all the stereotypes we're talking over yeah. here wow. yeah but no, we're saving the best to last is how I put that because uh, yes. I feel like Emmett would be a tough show to follow. Or sorry, you would be a tough show for Emmett to follow if we were to do it the other way around. Um, so Good I'm catch, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping. I realized halfway through, which is awesome. I mean, when we're talking about dead people, I'm like, we're talking about women investing here. There's too much going on. But um, so, Amory, we've heard how women make great investors, but what does female representation look like in the investing world? Um, it's not great. We need to, we're working on it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, as of 2018, a survey by Mass Mutual found that 41% of American women invest compared to 55% of men. And that's all all, like all people of all ages. So you might be like, okay, fair enough. Like probably women above the baby boober generation were probably more likely to resign the kind of wealth management, financial planning, retirement savings aspects to their husbands. And were more likely to be kind of handling the at-home finances, which is kind of a traditional view but we actually have data on that so you'll be saying well, you know what it's fine younger women coming through have big corporate jobs but even for millennials the stats don't look great so as of last year only 26 percent of millennial women invest outside of their workplace retirement accounts compared to 43 percent of millennial men and a, a investment account outside of your work account is genuinely anything outside of a 401k and i know plenty of people an aspect of their retirement savings has to be investing through like another private retirement account you know whether that be like a roth ira or something like that so um that's not great to see we would like to see um 
some more women jumping in there. Also, the way that they're investing, uh, we could probably be holding a meeting about, uh, typically investing 40% less money, which you don't like to see, and they prefer low-risk options like bonds and index funds, leaving 71% of their portfolio on average in savings, um, which, you know, as, as Emmett just listed off all those stats about being risk-averse, they really are when you um, see it in the numbers. Um, this kind of... Uh, Dynamic is also really reflected in the customer breakdown of retail investment platforms. Emmett just said there, eToro, you know, the big bull hasn't been the most warm welcome. Um, yeah, that's shown in their customer statistics. Only 15% of their users are women. Mm-hmm. And only 30% of interactive investors' customers are women. Um, so it seems like maybe they're all at Charles Schwab. You know, that's that that could be the takeaway from today is, uh, is Chuck's done a really good job, which also, as you were telling that story, Emmett, I was like, I didn't know Charles Schwab was a real person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like a made up business name that they were like, that sounds like a professional. Will yeah. that can be the name of the company? It's I thought like, it was like, and by the way, Amory, I, th- I think they had at that time 20% of their base were women. So even when okay, you compare yeah. it to those two giants that you mentioned today, IB and, and Etaro, they were ahead of their curve 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, and I think it is fair to mention that like maybe it's because the women have kind of siloed off into other areas. There's a company I've been quite impressed with that's emerged probably over the last five to seven years, which is called Elvest. Mm. And I think Elvest's turn on this is they're going, okay, there are more women in the workplace. There are more women who have really kind of high ranking corporate jobs are making money. They need to be doing this retirement stuff. And the way that Elvest has has kind of propositioned this to consumers as smart where they've removed investing from this kind of far off world and they've attempted to integrate it more into kind of everyday finances. So they run the entire thing through what looks like a really easy to use banking app and you can automate a huge amount of the tasks. I know a couple of my friends back home, they have like LVS credit cards and rather than getting, you know, like a cashback reward or a travel perk, Every time that they spend money through their credit card, it automates an investment process and it puts money in, in an index fund or a managed mutual fund or something like that. But Elvis, again, is like it's very hands off for the consumer. No one is picking independent stocks. It's, you know, robo investing. It's mutual funds and it's paying a pretty hefty fee in order to get that done. But, you know, if it's the type of thing of like the only way to get you to invest is to just kind of have you not think about it, I suppose that's fair enough. And like Elvis has been backed by a number of kind of significant big investors. The biggest one is probably Melinda Gates, who got in very, um, very early. So there is definitely movement in this space to get more women to participate. Um, But I do think it's probably the urgency with which it needs to be addressed means that kind of some of the onus is going to actually fall on individuals, whether that be women themselves or like people within women's lives who have some aspect of financial literacy or going to them being like, we got to start now. Like the time to start saving for your retirement is 40 years beforehand. So, you know, you should be targeting people now. Yeah. We're talking about like the risk averseness of women. The one plus side of that, I know that means that they're sitting out of it, but the one plus side of that is I'd say very few women got caught up in the NFT and crypto craze of the last two years. You're talking about 15% in eToro, I'd say OpenSea and Binance, it's about two or 3%. Yeah, actually, I think I had stats on that at one point. I remember um, doing an FML episode, which was the podcast that me and Nicole used to host before Nicole ran off for her retirement in Australia, um, that it was something crazy, like NFT participation was like 95% male. Like someone had done a survey. It was very, uh, yeah, lopsided. It sounds about right. Um, But what do you think now is the cause of this lack of participation in investing for women? Um, it's probably two, it's, it's probably economic and then probably 
more importantly now at this point, it's social. Um, in terms of the economics, the, the most important factor is going to be the wage gap. It's just like having less money to play with and less money to invest with. Um, back in 2018, um, on average, an American woman made 81 cents for every dollar a man made. And that meant that their median annual earnings were almost $10,000 less. Um, and then even when we correct for differences in career path, um, in no occupational category does a woman out earn a man and some of them they're beginning to reach parity which is very nice to see and actually there's been a number of companies some companies which we've discussed in the context of investing which have really gone out of their way to ensure pay parity one that i remember particularly is salesforce actually um they have like a whole portion of their hr department dedicated to just analyzing wages and making sure that people are being paid fairly um and they released a study last year and it was something they were like just due to inadvertent bias Every year they would correct people's salaries and they would make sure, oh, you know, all of these computer scientists, they all need to be on the same pay. So if someone gets a raise, they would just increase everybody else around them in the department. Um, And it was something that they basically said, we have to correct wages every three to six months because it just happens that because of probably socialization, men were just either better at going in and asking for raises or they were better at just getting them from their managers. And so the HR department was behind the scenes constantly just like micro increasing everybody's salaries to make sure that there was parity. So there is a lot of work going behind that and there is companies and sectors that are doing well. So um, I do think like- There's that that awful argument where, oh, well, the pay pay gap is there because women choose different jobs. So (laughs) men, men choose to be computer scientists and engineers and doctors and women choose to be- female computer scientists and female engineers and female doctors (laughs) yeah i also really hate that argument because they're always they always turn that around and they'll be like men's skills are scalable they'll be like oh they're a computer engineer they make software and that is scalable so they get to make more money because the businesses make more money and i'm like well women are nurses and teachers which is technically also scalable via the people that they interact with and also who is saying that nurses and teachers shouldn't make more money yeah like who's standing there being like i think the computer engineers that is more a dangerous hill to die on yeah um so anyway so we would love pay parity that would be great if women had more money they would probably then just have it would be like less difficult to say do you know what yes i will set aside 500 dollars a month and i will put it in a retirement account and i will invest with it and some of it can go into individual stock so i think like that's number one but it's something insane like if we continue with the current rate in which we're trying to reach pay parity we're going to reach it in like 93 years so that we can't wait this it's too you know we got to do some other things so then the kind of number one way that we need to address this, particularly if you are a woman yourself or you have a woman in your life who you would love to start investing or maybe you have a daughter that you're like, she needs to know this before she goes off and gets a job or she has the money to do so. Um, It's just kind of exposing women to investing and talking about it and making it a little bit less scary. Um, So one of the, there's like a bunch of studies on this. Um, There's like a a statistic where they say women are rational investors, but then sometimes that term is expanded out to say that they are recklessly cautious. And so how do we educate women in a way that gets them away from this recklessly cautious mindset? Um, And Charlotte Young, who uh, she started a charity called Girls Are Investors in the United States, um, she said that the number one thing is just providing a place to talk about it and maybe creating lessons that could be integrated into a classroom or even, you know, easy programs, even kind of like our learn app, even just sending the learn app to someone to be like, Hey, sit down, make a break through this. This is super easy. Um, 
and she found that women are taught that the route to financial empowerment is via budgeting, while men tend to be taught about investing at a younger age. Uh, and this is reinforced by statistics that she had. Only 29% of women reported that their parents showed them how to grow wealth beyond simply making a salary. So it is that thing of like something they're like dads aren't sitting down and being like, this is how I set up my Roth IRA. Um the other reason is probably, you know, we can sit here and say, oh, you know what, if you're being taught about investing outside of a classroom, um, there's a pretty high likelihood that a woman, depending on what phase of her life that she's in, she actually might not have the time to do that because it's like 75% of unpaid labor within the home is done by a woman. So, you know, while the men are off reading about NFTs and buying NFTs for 12 hours a day during the pandemic, there's a, you know, there's a likelihood that a woman maybe wouldn't be in that position. And that again is enforced through statistics. It was something like after the pandemic, it was far more likely that a woman had had to exit her career in order to care for a loved one. Um, and it meant that like women's participation uh, in employment had dropped uh, after 2020 and 2021. So like, they're just kind of these exterior factors that make, uh, mean that like prioritizing investment education probably isn't at the top of your list, which I think actually means that we should be doing it younger. You know, you should be doing it before kind of these obstacles come up. You should be talking to your teenagers about it. You should be talking to people in their 20s about it. Um, because once we have that education in place, things go pretty well. So only 46% of millennial women reported feeling confident about their, their ability to invest. But once they started, 77% of those women feel that they will be able to accumulate enough money to support themselves for life. So it is that thing. It's just the first step. Like it's just getting out the door. It's just setting up the account. It's just making the decision to say, okay, I'll do this. I'll put in a hundred bucks every month. And like, to be honest, like I also think we need to be better at just kind of granting people the good enough, like this is good enough. Like we talk a lot about, you know, you can beat the market, you could buy into individual stocks, you can kind of tap into companies that you know and, and interact with. But at the end of the day, if you're super, super busy, I think it is completely acceptable to set up a retirement account and just say, I'm putting money in the S&P 500 every month and I will re-examine this in five years. And I think that's fair enough. Like that is 100% good enough, particularly if you're in your 20s or 30s because you have such a long runway. Like you are going to accumulate like life-changing wealth, generational wealth, wealth that you will leave after you die. And then maybe make more money after you die because it will continue to perform <laughs> as we have learned. <laughs> With our new product. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My Wall Street death. <laughs> My Wall Street death. <laughs> oh, stuff. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Like, isn't that's the number one rule, uh, number one golden rule in My Wall Street is just get started. That's, yeah. that's the kick you need is just to make that from zero to one. And then from there, you don't exactly what you said. You can just index fund. You can be very sensible or you can dive headfirst into it. There's there's so many levels of what you can do, but to get started is the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned the lack of confidence and exposure as a barrier to women beginning to invest. So what kind of things do you think will motivate the next generation of female investors to jump in and to get started? Mm. Um, I kind of mentioned some in the previous question, you know, just education. I think a big thing that uh, myself and Nicole always used to talk about which just talk to your friends and your family. You know, if you're kind of already on the inside of the bubble and you're already investing, you should feel an onus to be like, okay, I know like so-and-so isn't investing. I know they're not financially planning. Maybe I'll go talk to them just to, again, make it even easier to take that first step to go from zero to one. Um, but I actually, something that I've been thinking about recently is maybe 
like grounding those discussions around the idea that the stock market is not entirely separate from us. Because I think sometimes if you, particularly if you come from a family where maybe investment hasn't been done before, it hasn't been something that you've talked about, it can feel like the stock market is something only wealthy people do and it's really far away from you and it's mm. not integrated into your economy at all. And so I think by thinking about stocks as businesses in which you interact with and picking stocks that way, I think is a great way to demystify it for yourself. And, you know, like women control a lot of spending power as like they have entered the workforce more and more and they have big high powered jobs. You know, they do like push forward a number of industries as, as um, Emmett was saying, you know, Peter Lynch saying, oh, I found investments through my wife because she was exposed to these companies that I would never consider because, you know, they're targeted at women. Like there's a lot of businesses like that today um, that do fly under the radar. And because, you know, a lot of financial analysts tend to be men, it takes forever for people to go and find them. Like there are companies like that right now that women probably know about yeah. men don't. Um, and so but so I like I don't think this is an overly it's not too um, kind of distant from us. And this is something that. Um, myself and Nicole talked about in terms of a Becky fund, which was an idea that was floated probably like four years ago. And it's a shame that we didn't coin it ourselves because it is quite a good idea. And the basis for a Becky fund um, was a Harvard Business Review study that was done back in 2009. So it's a while ago now. And they were they were they weren't studying stocks. They were studying marketing trends because they noticed they're as like the economy has shifted up and more women have gone into corporate America and they go into, you know, like tech or medicine and they make a lot of money. It meant that there were these women who were kind of at the top of the economic table who were making a lot of money, but who, who then also were spending a lot of money. And they had like a disproportionate amount of spending power. And these women, so they make up 24% of the female population in the United States, but they control 34% of female purchasing power. And in some sectors, it's crazy how much power they have. So women make the decision to purchase 94% of home furnishings, 92% of vacations, 91% of homes, 60% of automobiles, and 51% of consumer electronics. So basically, these marketers were saying, hey, like a strategy moving forward might be target these women because they have a bunch of money and they spend a bunch of money. And you know, they're not really being addressed by the current way that we're advertising. And that was kind of an interesting idea. And then an investment analyst saw that and said, do you know what? There's probably stocks like that, too. Uh, so this caught the attention of some investment analysts that were like, do you know what? There's probably a way for us to pick stocks the exact same way. So they dubbed these high spending women who have a bunch of money. They dubbed them Beckys. And they were like, what companies do Beckys like? And then that caused a huge debate online. Someone was like, there are 72 Becky stocks, but, you know, there's probably less than that. It's probably about 25 or 30. So then um, I sat down like two years ago and was like, okay, let's pick out a few Becky stocks that were stocks that we also talk about all the time on my Wall Street. And mm -hmm. I assembled a really short list. So it was Apple, Chipotle, Etsy, Facebook, Lululemon, Netflix, Pinterest, Peloton, Shopify, and Starbucks, which, you know, those are all companies that we interact with all the time. Women interact with them all the time. Um, and if we created a little portfolio and we added in just 100 bucks um, when we initially started talking about those companies, which for a lot of them, we started talking about them when my Wall Street was launched, the consumer facing side back in 2015, like Apple easily, Chipotle easily, Facebook. Yeah. Um, so as of right now, starting in 2015 and just putting in and just leaving, just putting money in, leaving it, um, that fund would be up 250% compared to the S&P, which is up 85%. And even if you took Shopify out, which like, uh, you know, I would admit maybe maybe someone who doesn't want to do any investment education wouldn't pick Shopify because Shopify is like a back end player. You know, they're they're platforming. Um, even then, the fund is up 175 percent versus 85 percent of the S&P. 
So by just picking companies that you routinely interact with, some of them, yeah, are going to be bad. Peloton, eh, bad. But most of them are up, and most of them are doing pretty well. So I think that's a good way to kind of approach yeah. women who are on the boundary of considering investing. You know, this is not too separate from you. These companies are stuff that you go to every single day. You probably shop for them, probably own their stuff. You probably like them. Um, yeah, and that's a really easy way to start investing. It's really interesting because that's the exact Peter Lynch ethos that keeps coming up throughout this conversation is yeah. investing in what you know. And I well, let's use Lululemon as an example. Do you know what I mean? When that maybe first hit the scene and was going crazy, that was definitely isolated in just women's yoga pants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, analysts, mm -hmm. analysts would have been way behind the curve there. And that would have been the legs moment of this kind yeah. of modern era, say. And that's a $50 billion company now. Yeah. You can extrapolate that, that out to any number of companies. Yeah. And I often think like we are now in the age of like the women's economy. I think it's going to get it's going to get even bigger. Like they're saying that um, recession was prevented in America because of the Barbie movie and the Taylor Swift tour of this summer. And so I think it's like women, I think, are better at spending. And sometimes they spend in, yeah, these discretionary categories. So there are definitely stocks looming there. And now, like, Lululemon is having its second age because men have discovered Lululemon. Yeah. They're going, guys, these pants, these pants are really yeah. <laughs> We should be spending $80 on pants. And yeah. so now and now the stock is is rallying again because, like, to, like, to be as big as they are and still bringing in 25% sales growth a quarter is crazy. But, um, yeah, I think it's a great way to find businesses. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. Before we finish up, I just want to give a quick word from our friends and sponsors at Vodafone Business. So Vodafone have recently launched their VHub digital advisory service, offering Irish businesses of all sizes free one-to-one -one digital support and advice. You don't even have to be a Vodafone business customer to avail of this service. So search Vodafone VHub to book a call with one of the VHub digital experts, and we will leave a link in the show notes. Right. Amit, Amory, thank you very much. Amory, this is a thank you for for the last time for a while so uh best of good luck in your travels and Thank you. thanks everyone for listening uh if you want to get in touch with us you can get us on twitter at my wall street hq on tiktok at my wall street simply just email us at pod at my if you enjoyed the show and you have a female in your life who you'd like to get investing make sure to share it on uh you can leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on so thanks for joining us today and we will talk to you next week mm -hmm.